It is that time again, your favorite time of the week or the month, whatever that would be, for all things guns here at Munitions Podcast. Steve Palmer here with Derek DeBross at Munitions Podcast, where if you haven't caught on yet, we are uh, taking on topics relative to firearms, not just legal topics, although we're both lawyers, but really we're talking more about uh, guns in general in a, in a broader sense. What society is dealing with, uh, the state of law is in fact sort of fascinating about what's going on because we're sort of living through uh, I think, a time in, in legal history that will be uh, significant when people look back after 50 years or so uh, about how our Constitution uh, handled firearms and firearms rights, but, you know, other topics as well. And, uh, you know, with Munitions Podcast, we're going to have a website that, uh, Derek, you were doing some work on that just the other day, weren't you? Yeah, it should be uh, at least the initial version of it should be up and running. Pretty simple, straight to the point. But yeah, it's looking pretty good. Yep. So we what we'll do there is we'll post all our current and past episodes, maybe some uh, info, some of the cases we discussed, some of the stories we discussed. Uh, there's also some guests that we've got uh, planned in the near future. So lots of great things happening with guns. And, you know, last time we were here, we promised, promised, even though there were some other issues I thought we were going to tackle today. We promised that we'd talk about Joe Rogan and why Joe Rogan is a felon. I mean, why Joe Rogan <laughs> might, Don't have, say that yet. <laughs> might have might have some issues to contend with um, if he continues to do what he's going to do. And, you know, you might say, what are those issues and, and what's he really going to contend with? But uh, I think it uh, it's worthy of a discussion. And it's worthy of a discussion because I'm dealing with it in my law practice day in and day out which is mainly criminal defense. And uh, what we're talking about is marijuana. So, Derek, take it from there, man. What, what's the deal with marijuana and guns? It seems like a natural fit, at least it has been for my criminal law practice for the last 30 years. Yeah, and, and you're, we're not picking on Joe, of course. I, I personally really enjoyed Joe Rogan listening to his podcast. But he, he unfortunately, uh, is going to be the subject of today's conversation because he's in a good example of how absurd these laws are. So I want to draw everybody's attention, if you're listening to um, the Gun Control Act of 1968, um, that's the law that obviously took effect in 1968 and it essentially um, it broadened the disabilities that we have in this country for people who uh, want to possess firearms. There's a, there's basically nine of them and I'll just read them off, Steve, if that's all right with you. So yeah, have at it. we're all on the same page, but we're going to turn to one in particular and I just want to make sure I get these right. So I'm pulling it up. So the citation, if you guys at home enjoy looking up the law, if you're a nerd like us, it's 18... USC stands for United States Code, um, subsection 922, subsection little case G. Uh, it's what we call the G disabilities as uh, gun lawyers in this country. So the first one you see here, I believe it's the Fugitive from Justice one. I'm pulling this up on my phone, Steve. Bear with me a second. E, F, here we go. All right, so it's unlawful for any person to possess firearms and or ammunition if they have been convicted in any court of a crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding one year. The only other thing you need to know about that law, it doesn't just include felonies that have the potential for more than one year. It also includes misdemeanors that have the potential uh, for greater than two years. So that's the first disability. And we can go into that at length another time. That's uh, one disability I deal with probably uh, the most. Number two, fugitives from justice. Uh, number three, and this is the one that's relevant for today, who is somebody who is an unlawful user of or addicted to any controlled substance as defined in Section 1 or 2 of the Controlled Substances Act. So we'll come back to that. I'll read that one more time. But the rest of them, just so you guys know, anybody who's been adjudicated as a mental defective or been committed to a mental institution. Number five, anybody who is an alien that is illegally or unlawfully in the United States. Six, anybody who has been discharged from the armed forces under dishonorable conditions. Eight, anybody who's a citizen of the United States who has renounced that citizenship. 
Number eight, uh, subject to a protection order. I believe that was ruled unconstitutional recently in a circuit court. And then number nine, anybody convicted of a misdemeanor crime and domestic violence. Um, that's an, also another discussion for another day. So I want to go back to what we call the G3 disability, Steve. That is the unlawful user of. So in Ohio, we have a, a similar statute under uh, um, 20, uh, 2923.13. I had to think about that for a minute. And basically it says anybody that's a chronic alcoholic or um, – I think it's, let's look it up, actually. I want to get the right language. I know it says chronic alcoholics, but I want to make sure we're talking about this correctly. So 2923.13, having weapons while under a disability. And it says basically anybody who is drug dependent, in danger of drug dependence, or a chronic alcoholic. Um, So, you know, what that means is obviously overly broad in my opinion, but I want to just talk about federal law for the most part, Steve. If you want to bring up state law, you can here in a minute. But number three, again, of the Gun Control Act says anybody who is unlawful user of, and it doesn't really define what user means. I mean, obviously, it means partaking in a scheduled drug. Uh, in my opinion, as, a, as an attorney, as I read that, it could be selling of the drug. You're using the drug for a different purpose than what we might inherently think it means when it says to use, but to me, carrying the drug, using the drug by selling it, any of those things would qualify. Um, now, what we have to remember is that marijuana or cannabis, THC, is still a scheduled narcotic, right? I think it's a schedule one, right, Steve? It's a Yeah, it's still a schedule one narcotic or drug of abuse. And uh, that means the federal law, no matter what the states are doing, the federal law still prohibits it. So right. it puts it in this no man's land that, uh, frankly, it's, it's about high time Congress did something about it one way or another. Right. So what the law says, anyone who's an unlawful user of or addicted to any controlled substance. And I'm not here trying to say that Joe Rogan's addicted to marijuana. I don't know that you can be addicted to marijuana for what I've read. I don't believe you can be. But um, he's definitely, in my opinion, based on his, his statements and testimonies made to the public, a user of marijuana. And I would argue under federal law, he's an unlawful user of marijuana. Yeah, so this is this is a big deal. And law, everything is about definitions. I mean, you can call something whatever you want, but if the law defines it a different way, and gun, guns are a lot like this. I mean, a lot of the gun regulatory scheme falls on definitions, as I've said here before on the show. It's like, you know, that hunk of metal becomes a gun. If it's got a certain mark and a stamp and it's in a book, it becomes a gun, whether it operates like one or not. So forget about what you know and follow what the definitions are. So if you know that in Texas, wherever Joe Rogan is doing his thing, that... Um, uh, marijuana is lawful. Federal law still defines it as unlawful, and that means every time he uses it, he is an unlawful user of marijuana, as is everybody else, <coughs> frankly, who is using it. So we're picking on Joe, but uh, it, it's more to make a point. I think that it's it's mainstream. That I guess what we're talking about is the paradox: is that we have this mainstream use now in our country of marijuana. At the same time, it's still unlawful, and at the same time, people who use marijuana. Uh, own and possess guns, hunt, shoot, whatever they do. That's right. And so at the end of the day, what we have here is somebody who is known to use marijuana, somebody who's known to have firearms, use firearms. I think he puts himself in a really precarious position when he's publicly admitting to using marijuana as well as publicly admitting to possessing firearms. Now, obviously, for the government, well, Steve, why don't you tell everybody what the government would have to prove in order to convict him based on that statute? Well, they would have to prove just the elements of that, that he is an unlawful user of marijuana and that he's in possession or use of firearms. So, you know, if you're if you're there's an old saying, it's sort of a, a 
joke, but it's an old saying. It's like, don't break the law while you're committing a crime. You know, it's like, you don't, uh, don't bring attention to yourself when you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing in the first place. Now, I don't think Joe realizes this, nor do I think he cares, nor do I, you know, to some extent, Joe is somewhat untouchable. Uh, but you know, he's, he has said and done things on his show that have made him a target at right. times of, a of some political opposition, media opposition. You know, he's taken on, um, CNN pretty harshly, and, uh, you know, if he takes a political position against uh, what is popular these days, he's making himself a target for a potential case. If the federal government really wanted to make an example out of him, uh, all they need to do is go look at his episodes or his, uh, I think he, he did a hunting trip with Steve Rinella on mm-hmm. TV. No, I can't or, didn't know that. Or on his show where they're out uh, in the mountains and hunting. Well, well, well it begs the question, right? How, how do they prove that he's an unlawful user of and how... Well, you know, I mean, the word use denotes present sense, right? I mean, I'm currently using something now, right, immediately. What if I smoked a joint yesterday? Am I still an unlawful user of? So, Steve, what I want to do now is read you the Code of Federal Regulations, which, for those of you who don't know what that is out there. That's deep state law. Right? <laughs> That's exactly what it is. This is nonsense law is essentially what it is. It's the ATF making up the law. So, the CFR, Code of Federal Regulations, essentially is a supplement, if you will, to the actual law. It's how... The agencies will enforce the law. Am I saying that correctly, Steve, in your opinion? Yeah, that's their interpretation of what the law means. All right, so it actually defines the terminology unlawful user of or addicted and controlled substance. It's not very long, but I think it's relevant for today's discussion. Here's what it says. A person who uses a controlled substance and has lost the power of self-control with reference to the use of a controlled substance, and any person who is a current user of a controlled substance in a manner other than as prescribed by a licensed physician, such use is not limited to the use of drugs on a particular day or within a matter of days or weeks, but rather that the unlawful use has occurred recently enough to indicate that the individual is actively engaged in the conduct. A person may be an unlawful or, or an unlawful current user of a controlled substance, even though the substance is not being used at the precise time the person seeks to acquire a firearm. An inference of current use may be drawn from evidence of a recent use or possession of a controlled substance or a pattern of use or possession that reasonably covers the present time. Example, conviction for use of possession of a controlled substance which in the past year or multiple arrests for such offenses within the past five years. And then I'm just going to stop there because that's what's mostly relevant. So go back, read the, read the language about uh, something about the states permitting it. Um, I don't believe there was any language in there that the state it didn't say anything about go, that. Go, read from the beginning again, real quickly. Uh, such use is not limited to use of drugs in a particular day or within a matter of days. Unlawful use has occurred recently enough to indicate individuals acting engaged in. Um, you talking about when it's prescribed to them? Yeah. When prescribed by. Yeah. So the CFR says a person uses a controlled substance and has lost the power of self-control with reference to the use of controlled substance. Any person who is a current user of controlled substance in a manner other than as prescribed by a licensed physician. Right. So you wonder if they, if they wrote this to try to catch the medical marijuana provisions in various states or whether that might... Uh, oh, this was written before that. It was written before that. So, uh, And they're calling that a controlled substance, which is going to have a different, right. a, a different definition. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still legal. I don't think... Uh, you know, let's say Rogan's prosecuted for this. I don't think his defense team's going to put up a very good or be able to put up a very good argument. This is not a controlled substance. It just is. It just is. And, yeah. it, it, you know, it can't be prescribed. I mean, as I understand the schedule of drugs, you can't prescribe heroin. You can't so prescribe marijuana. Not under federal law. Not under Correct. federal law, which is what matters here. That's where the jurisdiction is going to lie of this prosecution. Yeah. So the, the problem here is going to lie for Joe is that if somebody wants to target him and take aim, 
See what I did there again? Yeah. <laughs> and take aim at him. Uh, he, he's putting himself out there on Front Street with marijuana use. Now, for whatever it's worth, I I don't think he's doing anything wrong at all. I mean, I think Of course that, not. You know, and, and then... You, you well, can, morally speaking, at least. Morally speaking. And these are regulatory type of offenses. And you could say that uh, you break the law and that's immoral just to break the law. But, you know, we'll go into that. That's a whole philosophical discussion for a different day. But I would urge everybody to consider the last time you were at deer camp when uh, y'all got plastered after the first night of hunting or mm-hmm. right before the first night of hunting. And uh, then you woke up sort of shaking out the cobwebs and, and walking to your tree stand still half drunk with a rifle or a shotgun or rifle in your hand. It's like, you know, I, I think what Joe's doing with marijuana is, is not nearly as, uh, oh, of course not as, as what, actually significant than, uh, than that scenario. What's really funny, Steve, is if you actually look it up, at least in the state of Ohio, using weapons while intoxicated, it's a, it's a misdemeanor. Yep. So I can be drunk, have a gun on me. It's a misdemeanor, which is far more dangerous than being high with a gun on you, in my opinion. And right. that's a federal crime. Ten years in prison for this. Yeah, in that, I mean, so if you look at some of the the nonsensical outcomes of this, uh, as a result, I think of, of really what we're talking about is a political government response to things. And you know, for for political reasons, I think the federal government has delayed a response to all the states permitting marijuana. Right. And I think it's because one side wants the other, or one side wants to take credit, the other side wants to take credit. Who knows? Um, well, I think I think Joe, Joe's. So, so I just wanted to look at the case. So, when we look at it, we we have video of Joe going hunting. We have him acknowledging that he owns guns and going hunting on his podcast, probably hundreds, if not thousands, of times. We have him acknowledging he's using drugs. He's freaking been high with Elon Musk on his podcast. Right, right, right. I mean, I think there's video of him smoking a joint. So, is that enough evidence? On its face, to prosecute him and convict him, in your opinion, as a defense attorney. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. We, we have a situation here where he's not the only one. I mean, I have plenty of veteran friends that use uh, use these use medicinal marijuana for PTSD from their time in Iraq, and et cetera, and uh, it's necessary for them to live. Well, how does this roll now with – there was a provision in Ohio law when we still had a actual license to carry a concealed handgun. We still have it. That you could not have also – a medical card for marijuana. The two, yeah, are, I I don't, the, the two are mutually exclusive. I'd have to dig into that. I mean, I'm not a marijuana attorney per se, so I'd have to dig into that. It's not in the, to my knowledge, in the concealed carry licensing scheme anywhere in the revised code. So it may be in the medicinal marijuana part of the statute. I, I'm just unaware of that. But there is case law at the federal level, so you know that addresses this issue from different fronts. So I know out of the Ninth Circuit and maybe multiple circuits, it's pretty clear that a medicinal marijuana card or and that evidence can be brought in to prove that you're an unlawful user of, and you can be convicted of this. That, that's clear. But now, Steve, you were just looking at an, uh, an article recently of an Oklahoma district court case. Yeah, so now what's happened is, so the, and the, the backdrop to this is going to be Bruin, and Bruin's the, the New York gun case or New York gun club case where uh, basically it took the Heller case, the sort of the threshold uh, watershed Heller case that said we have an individual right to bear arms, um, it now t- it took that to a whole different level because now uh, we have a whole different analytical approach with history, text, and tradition analysis. Uh, the courts are, are really sort of taking aim. See what I'm doing here the whole time? They're really <laughs> taking aim at these, at these legal limitations on somebody's right to bear arms. They're saying, hey, look, this is a fundamental right. We mean it. And uh, not only that, we mean it. We're going to start enforcing it. So we, we have to... Um, we have to look at these things totally differently. So if I'm representing Joe Rogan now, I'm going to say, That's right. yeah, yeah, fine. You're going to charge me with this crime, but guess what? I'm going to immediately file a motion to dismiss it as applied here because it violates my Second Amendment rights. It violates my client's Second Amendment right to bear arms. 
because he has got a constitutional right to bear arms, and it's an irrational uh, uh, restriction to say just because he's used marijuana here that um, he can't bear arms. And and this is where the court, like you're saying, out in Oklahoma in the Harrison case, I think it was U.S. v. Harrison, um, there was a judge in Oklahoma said that permitting or prohibiting marijuana users from owning guns violates the Second mm-hmm. Amendment. Um, the U.S. District Court Judge Patrick Wierick concluded that in, in United States versus Harrison that this is, quote, not consistent with this nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. So what's interesting there is that he's he's taken uh, the tradition analysis sort of outside what we would know as tradition, because I don't think there were a whole lot of colonists out there when we founded our country or lining up against the Brits. They were probably taking all sorts of whiffs of booze to get yeah. uh, maybe some cups of courage. Well, but getting high, probably not. When you look at the uh, jurisprudence around this, Steve, what's what's fascinating, and I, I've done a lot of research on it. We were and have filed uh, constitutional actions for clients that have nonviolent related felonies. And even uh, Justice Barrett, in her dissent, talked about how drug crimes are generally considered crimes of violence. And why that's important is that when you look at the history of the Second Amendment, the courts generally will say, like, look, if these were violent individuals, it's much easier, essentially, to to restrict their ability to own firearms. And drugs got kind of uh, wrapped up into that. And they always say, look, if it's a drug offense, they're naturally violent. It's inherently a violent offense because they're selling drugs. I disagree with that, and especially on marijuana. I mean, people, yeah. there's grandmothers using this stuff. And yeah. I just don't think you can say that it's absolutely violent simply because it's a, an illegal drug. Well, if you make a penicillin illegal, does it make me a violent person that I want to take penicillin? Uh, so at the end of the day, I think, you know, Mr. Rogan, if he were prosecuted, would have a damn good argument that this is an unconstitutional law, as did the judge in Oklahoma decide for that, Mr. Harrison, gentlemen. Yeah, and this is what I was talking about before. It's like we're living through an interesting time or a fascinating time, rather, because I, years ago when I was trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with my life. I, I sort of fell in love with philosophy and history and, and the law and not because I think it's fun to go sit down and read laws, but on, on a bigger, in a bigger scale in a broader sense, maybe from a mile high view, the law sort of roughly uh, does this dance with society values. And, you know, one might guide the other at different times. So either society's leading or the law's leading or, or some version of both, but it sort of reflects what's going on. But it doesn't do it immediately. It's not a mirror. It's not like you look in the mirror and see it right away. It usually takes a few years for it to catch up, maybe even a generation. And I think we're living in that time right now. Marijuana and the viewpoint of marijuana uh, by society has changed completely in our lifetimes, in the last decade. Yeah. And I don't think the gun law is caught up yet. And we're struggling with it because you can find all sorts of paradoxes where, wait a minute, I can get drunk and and still uh, wake up the next day, get sober, and then go out and shoot and I'm okay, but if I get high, I can't. And you're sort of thinking, well, that doesn't right. make any sense. And I'm not talking about while you're using it. I mean, like just in general, if you're a habitual user that you would say of alcohol, but who's going to who's gonna actually say habitual user of alcohol? So, you know, we're treating things differently, and it's, a, it's sort of an arcane relic of how we used to view marijuana. Go back and watch the old marijuana movie of the 50s, and you'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's what the judge goes on to say. The restrictions imposed by each law – only applied while an individual is actively intoxicated or actively using intoxication. And he's talking about uh, distinguishing cases. Under these laws, no one's right to armed self-defense was restricted based on the mere fact that he or she was a user of intoxicants. Furthermore, none of the laws appear to have prohibited the mere possession of firearm. He's p- mere possession of firearms. Mm-hmm. He's going back and looking at old laws, looking at the tradition That's of what these he needs old to do, laws. Yeah. And he's coming to the conclusion like, look, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take this traditional analysis and find parallels. 
That's right. So when you and I were talking on the phone about the case I'm working, which is similar out in um, a different county than Franklin uh, here in Ohio, where somebody is accused of, uh, of, of improperly handling of a firearm in a motor vehicle, carrying a gun while they had a prohibited concentration of marijuana metabolites in their system. Mm-hmm. So it's like, wait a minute, this is a marijuana metabolite. You're not even high when you're doing it. Uh, it's just you've got a metabolite in your system evidencing that you've used marijuana in the past, and uh, now it's a crime to have a gun. Otherwise, the guy had a valid license to carry a concealed handgun under yeah. the old uh, Ohio statute. And, you know, as we were sort of talking, it's like, where do you find a traditional parallel to that? Right. Because it's marijuana, folks. Uh, and this judge is saying, well, look, we're going to look at just general intoxicants and uh, and draw some parallels there. And this is where the I think the law and the interpretation of the law you know, the old common law analysis as it evolves is starting to catch up. And, and I think we're going to see some defenses. Yeah. If you go back to Bruin, Steve, and I, I just, I teach this at the, in the local law school and I was just teaching uh, Bruin last week and it, it reminded me a, a part of what the majority had written. And, uh, and it basically states that, look, we don't, when we look at the analogy, we're not looking for a picture perfect replica. Like, you right. know, there was an identical law at the time. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for an analogous and they're looking for the when and how. Did it exist back then? Something similar and not how, but the why. And why did it exist? What were they trying to do? And I agree with the judge in Oklahoma. To me, there was nothing analogous at all to the when and to the why of restricting somebody who takes an innocuous drug that's generally a downer and makes you lazy and not violent. You know, there's just nothing analogous to that at the time, historically speaking. And I mean, look, we, we... In society, we all have access to things that are going to make us not the safest to be around guns, right? So if you get drunk, you shouldn't be around guns, you shouldn't be shooting guns. And, you know, you can call it against the law, you can say it's not against the law, but people are still going to do it. And it's going to be the same with marijuana. It's going to be the same with all these things. And, you know, at the same time, you can't just say because you have done those things, you're not allowed to have guns at all. And, you know, you could say, well, what about, uh, there's all the whataboutisms you could come up with. But the difference here is it is, in fact, a constitutional right. right. So do I lose my right of free speech simply because I'm a user of marijuana? Would, would anybody say that that's good? Now you could say, well, look, uh, drunks, um, people who are drunk shouldn't be able to have free speech because they're more apt to be reckless with their speech. You know, it, you would almost like reject that out of hand. And and you can say it's a matter of degree. It's a constitutional matter of degree because it's not like I'm going to actually shoot somebody. Um, but it, you know what we're not talking about using it, you having a gun while you're drunk, we're talking about having a gun at all because you have been drunk or you have been high or if you've been an yeah. unlawful user. It just doesn't, the two things don't equate. I think it's hard for the general public to accept the fact that the Second Amendment is not a second class right. Bruin, I think, used those terms. It's not a second class right, but it's it's viewed that way. Yeah. Well, it's different. Why is it different? Well, they're dangerous. There's these items of all that can hurt people. But again, why textually is that any different than the First Amendment? The founders wrote us our contract that the government needs to abide by and they're changing the terms now. Yeah. Like if you don't like it, we have an amendment process. Go through the amendment process. You know, I love that. You 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 have said that before on one of our early years ago on a different show um, where they actually gave us a little rule book in the Constitution. And guess what? You can change it. You can. All you got to do is get yeah. enough votes. Yeah. And you'll change it. And, and you would say, well, these people here. Here's where I go off. Uh, people would say, well, yeah, but we don't have enough votes. And our response is right. You don't have enough right. votes. So J- Justice Breyer comes out now and says, well, it's alive and breathing. It's alive so and breathing. The Constitution's a living 
organic thing now. <laughs> and then you get the, yeah, but this is a really, really important one. And if I don't have enough power to change it, and if we don't have enough power to overrule it without having enough votes, then X will happen. Some catastrophic result will happen. More people will be killed or the world will stop turning or, you know, the climate change will overcome us and we're all going to die. And it's like, you know, always be leery of those who uh, profess yeah. to be able to fix these existential threats. Or my favorite, so, oh, well, the Second Amendment was drafted for muskets and, you know, for hunting only. Well, don't you think the Founding Fathers were bright enough to foresee the change in technology? Well, they did. And in their time, <laughs> they saw change in, in Absolutely. So they would have, right. you would presume that they would see that in the future and they made it limited this way in an amendment process this way. They gave us the parameters of how to address these issues but our society doesn't want to have a com- common sense conversation about these things and do it the proper way. Well, they want to follow the rules, right? They the want rules, to follow the rules. There, there is no truth anymore. It's just what your truth is. And, and the problem is when you, when you aren't going to follow the rules, when, when, when we're going to create changes, and I'm not talking just like little changes. We're talking about foundational substantive changes to our country, to our constitution, to our freedom. And you're going to do it because you think that you have this right or that's the wrong way to say it. You think that you're correct in your analysis, that you can fix these problems as long as you have the power to make these fundamental changes without uh, following the rules. Then there are no rules for the next change, right? It goes away. You have right. to look at this beyond what's right in front of your face, folks. You know, the, the mirror is a real short reflection and, you know, it goes far deeper than that. So uh, it's just up to the next guy to change it back or to change it worse. You know, it's, it's going to start happening. There's a reason it was difficult and it's supposed to be difficult because we don't like authoritarians in our country or at yeah. least we shouldn't. Well, so, uh, you know, I, I guess just to kind of you wrap up our analysis, I, I agree with everything you've said, Steve. I, I think, you know, based on what Joe has put out there, there's a serious issue and, and there's a serious issue for millions of Americans probably. Yep. But you know. guess what, Joe? I got your back, man. Just give me a shout. <laughs> yeah, I'll be right upstairs. I'll be happy to take it. And, and look, we could combine our two firms and take that on because uh, uh, th- that would be almost the perfect team to do it. Yeah, I, you know, I would definitely want to talk to the attorney in Oklahoma who got that indictment dismissed, and he's the first one I know that has been to successfully do that since Bruin. But yeah, I, I do think there are some real problems with this law, as as there is a lot of portions of the Gun Control Act. In yep. fact, they just, like I said, they just over, I think there was a judge that overturned the uh, the uh, protection order part of it. Yeah, and there's uh, there's more of that to come. You know, there's more of that to come, and we'll cover them as they go. And I'll be really eager to see, maybe it's relevant to talk about this, then we get to the ammo can. I, I'll be really eager to see how the U.S. Supreme Court handles this. So for those who don't know, it's like there's a couple different ways the U.S. Supreme Court can give us their opinions. You know, the first is the obvious one. They take a case. They write a 50-page opinion about it and give you a big, long analysis, and they tell you how it's going to go. And the second is they just say, we're not going to take it. So it, what I mean is it's like not everybody gets to go up to the Supreme Court and have their case heard. Mm-hmm. And say this Oklahoma judge, uh, this decision, it looks like the government has just filed a notice of appeal up to their circuit court, so it'll be in the Court of Appeals. And then say it goes against the government there, and uh, the government tries to appeal, and they, they file what's called a petition or mem- yeah, petition for certiorari in the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court says, no, we're not going to take it. So what they've said is, we're not going to overturn that. So it's good law in that's, that area. That's good law there. And I think what they're saying is, we're going to sit and watch what these courts of appeals and our, yeah. and our circuits do for a while, and then let them sort it out, and then we'll we'll either yeah. we'll let them do all the work, and uh, we'll get back to it later. So uh, I, I do think, though, at least if anything is, um, if the last few years are any indication with the New York gun case and Bruin and Heller 
and uh, the era we're in, I think we're going to start seeing more and yeah. more and more because there's a lot of these kind of issues yeah. that are going to come up. And I think somebody like Joe, if they had the resources, they could actually get ahead of this. They could file a DEC Act or what we call declaratory judgment action, a lawsuit essentially against the government. Yep. And I think he could argue that he does have legitimate standing to bring that suit and, and get a decision before he's charged with a crime. Yeah, he could. He could He could go on record and say, look, well, he is on record. He could go on like record record and say, look, I'm a user of marijuana. It's It's unlawful under the federal law. And I hereby want a declaration that the federal law prohibiting what I'm doing right. is unconstitutional. Yeah, but and, it, it's expensive to do that. I mean, you're suing the federal government. Well, what was his contract for Spotify? I don't know how many millions there were, but it would cover 200 my million. Fees. I think <laughs> cover my fees. like a little drop of that would be fine. I could use it. You know, we could. We could oh, uh, dirty, fact, dirty lawyers! I will give you. I will give you a, a great hourly rate. I promise. Um, so anyway, it's time for the ammo can. I'm going to surprise you. I pulled it out earlier, and um, it, it's an interesting question I've, I've always had. Is like if I want to buy uh, a handgun from, say, my cousin Bobby, and I'm I'm putting this in my shoes because I'm not going to use names. But if I want to buy a handgun from cousin Bobby out in Indiana, and I live in Ohio, or I just want to borrow his handgun, is that something I need an FFL for? And uh, I, I defer to the the gun guru here for this one. Well, if you want to buy a handgun from another state you're not a resident of, yes, you'll need an FFL. Um, generally, it's the same of like purchasing a handgun online. Even if it's a private party? Even if it's a private party because it crosses interstate commerce if federal law attaches. So generally, you would purchase it, you pay them money, and they would ship it to an FFL dealer in your home state, and then you would run your background check in that state. Uh, borrowing a handgun, to, uh, at least at the federal level, to you know, as long as you're not transferring title, and I'd want to research this, Steve, to be 100% correct on it. But as long as you're not actually transferring title, I don't think there would be a problem with it. Uh, don't quote me on that. Don't rely on that. I'd want to double check that. But um, it is the transfer of title uh, that is the more significant concern. I know you cannot purchase a gun out of state or handgun. I've had clients do this. I had a guy that was actually indicted for selling two guns with, uh, without a license at once. And during the pendency of the trial, he was visiting family up in another state north of Ohio and it, it, it turned out he came back with a new handgun. And I and it was what had happened was he, he liked the handgun so much he had a family member who lived in that state buy it for him. And the feds leveraged that, right? You can guess what they did. Well, we're gonna prosecute so and so if you don't take this deal. Yep. You know, because that's a straw purchase essentially. So yes, uh, you cannot buy a handgun in another state without an FFL license. So all right, so I guess when you're ever in doubt with those things, here's the problem with that, though. Here's the problem. It's like everybody sort of thinks that if I buy a gun from you, you're my buddy here, like we're, we're just uh, hanging out, and he's like, hey, guess what? I got this 9mm, and I, uh, I don't need it anymore. I got too many 9mm, or I got to pay my bills. I need to get some money here. Give me 500 bucks, and uh, you can have it. That, that does not require formal paperwork. It doesn't require me to go find an FFL. It doesn't require me to go report it or do it, any of the things that – uh, that uh, the FFL requirements would make you do. And, you know, you could, it, it, just because you crossed, you live in Preble County, Ohio, you crossed over to Indiana right. and your buddy lives across the border, it changes things. So the, the scary thing about some of these gun regulations is they're not always so obvious. Right. They don't always make uh, sense. Like, look, you know you're not supposed to do certain things just because you know that, that it's not right. These regulatory offenses, these regulatory schemes, whether it's taxes, whether it's guns, or whether it's... um some other brown shirt administrative agency telling you what you can and can't do in a code of federal regulations, it doesn't always check the box of common sense and you can end up sideways. So I always tell people, look, if you have any inkling, any thought, any concern, any question, 
call somebody like me, call somebody like Derek and uh, get yeah. get an answer. Don't don't make yourself a criminal. Yeah. And the transfer of guns, you know, look, I, I hate to say it, but the easiest thing to do is just run it through a dealer. It costs you like 50 bucks for a transfer fee. Yep. It, it's just safer that way. Even when I fly, if I go to another state, sometimes depending on the state, I'll just ship it to a dealer, you know, or I'll ship it to myself, buy the ammunition there. So I'm not dealing with the airlines and all their regulations as well. But guns, look, you know, as gun owners, we have to deal with this stuff. So Yep, that we do. All right, so that is another episode here at the Munitions Podcast. Uh, if you do have questions until the website is up, that's no problem. We can we can field them. Derek, where where should they uh, reach out to get the questions yeah, to you um, for the ammo can? And just so everybody knows, that po- that website should be up real soon. Um, but uh, right now you can just send them to us at, uh, muni- at our website, munitionsgroup.com. There's a ask us a question on each page at the bottom or on the contact us page. It's just munitionsgroup.com. Uh, and then uh, the Munitions Podcast website, I believe, is munitionspodcast.com. Yeah, it'll be munitionspodcast.com. Our guys are uh, on it. We're building it. There's, uh, it it'll be up really soon. And uh, then, of course, you've got this, this, like, this huge former website on you or former uh, YouTube, YouTube channel yeah. where people have asked all sorts of questions. How do people yeah. access that? Yeah, Munitions Group, just go, go to YouTube and type that in and... Uh, we have uh, 50,000 followers or so. There's a lot of videos. <laughs> There's some old videos on me on there, too. Um, by the way, just for the audience and for your stake, Steve, the NRA convention's coming up. Yep. Um, out in Indianapolis, right? In Indianapolis. I think it's second or third week of April. Um, I will be there. So if anybody runs into me, be sure to shake my hand. Stop me. I'm the guy with the big red beard. So. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for you. another episode here of the Munitions Podcast. Derek, we'll see you next time, man. Absolutely. Take care and carry on.